and welcome into a special episode of the Irish NFL show. I'm Colin Cronin and delighted to be joined today by a returning guest to the show, the very wonderful Mo Egger, who covers the Bengals on ESPN 1530, which you can get online if you're on this side of the Atlantic. And he is also a host of the Mo Egger podcast. Mo, welcome back to the Irish NFL show. I think the last time I was with you, it was much noisier behind me than it is today. I think it was during the draft, right? Yes, you, you yeah. joined us. Uh, a, a lot, uh, you were at a, a live draft event, yes. and uh, this is this is much calmer, much much tamer. But um, yeah. we, I think there'll be quite a quite a bit of noise on uh, on Monday night, and we will certainly get get into to that game. But I suppose I'm I'm interested because it's been a while since we since we talked and. Um, the the Bengals were a, a team much discussed in the off season, obviously coming off the back of the Super Bowl and some of the changes that they made. And on this show, some of us were were high on them. I got look, I got plenty of divisions wrong, but I was high on the the Bengals. But I I'm suppose I, I'm wondering after that Owen two start, they were obviously close games. But was there any concern on on your part about how the the team might gel? Well, in the short term, yes, and and you what, what I what you never really can quantify is how much are how much is the bill going to come due later in the season, right? Like those games counted uh, as much as NFL teams in this day and age kind of use September as the preseason and a feeling out period, and the Bengals certainly did that. Those results still counted, and so I think you were being fair if you worried about how losing a game in September or that 0-2 start might come back and haunt them in December and January. What they've been able to do, though, is overcome it, and I don't think that's all that surprising. Look, those those first two games they lost, they lost on walk-off field goals, uh, one in overtime against Pittsburgh, the other in Dallas, and, you know, they were games there for the taking. They would have beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers had they had their normal long snapper. You might remember Clark Harris got injured during that game. They missed a PAT because the operation was completely thrown off. Um, they came this close to winning that football game, and they should have won that football game. The Dallas game, uh, th- they couldn't get a stop at the end of the game. But but I, 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 the margin for error is so thin in this league. If you're losing close games early, I, I don't I don't necessarily go overboard in panic. It would be one thing if they were getting blown out. They weren't getting blown out. The reasons they lost that football game can be, I think. Uh, Basically, you know, uh, pointed to the offensive line. I think we all knew that that area of the team was going to gel eventually, and it has. Um, so, you know, I don't know that it's it's relative to where they were at zero and two. I certainly don't think it's surprising that uh, they enter week seventeen with a chance to win the division. I certainly don't think it's surprising that they're being considered a, a bona fide Super Bowl contender. The season is really, really long, and and if there's one thing I've learned following this league for for 40 years or so uh it, it's been that it's it never makes a lot of sense to go crazy either positively or negatively about what you're seeing early in the season this was a good football team this was a well constructed football team it's basically the same team or it was basically the same team that went to the super bowl last year i think you owed this team the benefit of the doubt after that 0 and 2 start and as they've played since uh i think uh i think the uh the results would would say as much 
And I suppose that first half of the, the season was a little bit up and down and people, you know, pointed out after the own two start, uh, a couple of wins, but people pointing out the quarterbacks that, that the Bengals had beaten. And I'm thinking more so in terms of the opening kind of division uh, games, obviously, you you know, there was the, the long snapper issue. Then there was a really close loss to the Ravens. Um, then there is the, the loss against the, the Browns. And I'm just wondering in terms of that, do you think that the the Bengals coming off the back of the Super Bowl was there just a target on their their back for their divisional rivals? Did that play a, a role in terms of those 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 first set of divisional games? Well, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week One look at their approach to the season. You know, Mike Tomlin before before that game was buying his guys uh, black Air Force Ones. They have a physical training camp. They emphasize getting off to a fast start. The Bengals took the entirely opposite approach. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're a tough out for, for most teams, regardless of what kind of season they're having. But I think specifically week one, when you look at their the style of defense they play, when you look at the personnel they have on defense and, and what the Bengals needed to accomplish, which was they had to to get that offensive line to gel. They didn't really do it during training camp in the preseason. I think that was more than anything a bad matchup. Uh, the Baltimore game, you know, was, was a little fluky as far as I'm concerned because um, the Bengals had a chance inside the five. For a pretty big touchdown, they threw a shovel pass, which is the bane of my existence. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson put the team on his back, and he was terrific. Um, it was a close loss on the road. Bengals-Ravens games are probably going to be close more often than they're not. It just happened that the Ravens had the football essentially last. Um, the Browns game was the really sobering one because it was the first game they played in that stretch of games without Jamar Chase. They were four and three going into that game. It was still Jacoby Brissett. It was a, a Browns team that never really got their season off the ground. Um, and the Bengals had zero points going into the fourth quarter and offensively were basically non-competitive. And on that night, their best cover corner, Chidobe Awuzie, got hurt. So you're looking at a 19-point loss that uh, sent their record to 4-4. Four and four. They didn't have Jamar Chase for the short term. They now weren't going to have Chidobe Awuzie for the long term. They made Jacoby Brissett look way too comfortable that night. They could not stop the run. That was a really sobering loss. Now, I think that night they played against a desperate Cleveland team that was trying to get its season back on track at home and did so against an opponent that, quite frankly, uh, wasn't playing all that well and was really struggling to run the football. Uh, but what they've done since then has been nothing short of remarkable. I mean, we're sitting here. That, that loss, as you and I talked today, was exactly two months ago. If I would have said to anybody that night, uh, they're going to they're gonna win the next eight games, um, or I'm sorry, I guess win the next seven games, and have a chance to win the division, clinch the division going into Week 17 – and they'll do it all without Chidobe Awuzie. They will have survived the short-term losses of Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon and Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard and Hayden Hurst. I think most would have said that I was out of my mind, and yet, in spite of the schedule, in spite of the quarterbacks they've played, in spite of the injuries, here we are at 11-4, uh, at and four, and I don't think it's it's shocking that this team is 11-4 and four if we were talking about what they would be at the beginning of the season, but uh, in the aftermath of that Monday night loss against the Browns, if I would have said that that would be their most recent loss two week, two months later, uh, 
I, I don't know that anybody would have believed me. Yeah, um, I, absolutely coming off the the back. And in terms of, you know, that that uh, sort of Browns game and obviously the, the run afterwards, what was was it? Did the team come together? Was that a, a Damascus-like moment for them? Or, or did, you know, because as you said, they, they have missed players since, but they have overcome it. And obviously we have seen Joe Burrow's play has been absolutely phenomenal. We heard some of the ridiculous stuff again at the start of the season. Oh, Burrow against cover two. But I know <laughs> Robert Robert Mays had a tweet yesterday um, where he highlighted the fact that like basically Burrow is he's like number one or number two in every single uh, stat against cover two since about week four or five on on this season. I'm I'm just wondering like what what was it or what is it about this Bengals side? Because we saw it like the tail end of last season, they came together and, you know, the things were against them and people didn't expect them to to perform in certain games. Is it, is it, is it Burrow? Is it the, is it the team? Is it, does, does Zach Taylor play into this? Is it all of the above? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you start with Joe Burrow. They have a, a bona fide star at quarterback, a bona fide MVP candidate. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like he's going to win it, but 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 a guy that you can't have the conversation about the MVP without mentioning his name. So you start there. Uh, they've kept him upright. You know, you go back to that Browns game. He was sacked five times that night. I think over the next four games, he was sacked five times total. And and look, the the offensive pass blocking hasn't been elite, but it's been good enough. And with Joe and with the weapons they have, it only needs to be okay. You simply you can't have the collapsing pockets. What you can have is. Uh, a, a a guy gets beat at the line of scrimmage, and Joe is good enough to get out of trouble, extend the play a little bit, uh, maybe get first downs with his legs, and 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 keep keep the offense functioning. So I start there, but but it really, honestly, it's it's been a combination of things. They've gotten Jamar Chase back, but while he was out, T. Higgins stepped up in a really big way. Uh, they've dealt with some minor injuries to wide receivers, and Trent Irwin, uh, a guy that you know before the season or before last year, at least a lot of Bengals fans couldn't tell you who he was. He's really turned into a nice, reliable, complimentary weapon. They've gotten solid performances. Joe Mixon missed a couple of games with a concussion. Samaje Pirine stepped in and with a more physical running style, uh, really, really contributed. It, it, it hasn't been Joe Burrow putting the team on his back, but he's certainly shown that he's capable of putting the team on his back. And then from a defensive standpoint, I think the most important thing was they got DJ Reader back. He got injured in their third game against the Jets. Um, he's one of the most underrated players in this league uh, in terms of both the stopping the run and and also aiding their pass rush. W- what he does in terms of occupying blockers honestly simply can't be replicated. But, you know, even beyond that, when their depth has been tested on defense – They've, for the most part, passed those tests. We talked about playing without Chidobia Wuzier. They played a game without Mike Hilton, their best slot corner. They've had to go without Trey Hendrickson. They've had to play without Sam Hubbard. Uh, What they have done is they have put together a really good and fundamentally sound and pretty deep defense coordinated by a guy that I think deserves a chance to be a head coach in this league. Uh, Now, you know, the big question for me on Monday is the the depth in the secondary has been tested. They're still without Chidobe Awuzie. They're playing some guys who are a little bit short on experience. I don't think they've seen anything like what they're going to get against the Buffalo Bills on Monday. But this is just a really well-constructed roster, a really well-constructed team, which we've seen before here. 
the the difference is they had well constructed rosters and teams around a B B minus quarterback in Andy Dalton, and now they've got a well constructed team with a bona fide star QB, and they've gotten really good coaching, and I don't think that can be minimized as well. It it hasn't. I think when you win seven straight games in this league. It's never one thing. It's never one guy. It's never one area, and that's that's been the case for, for this team over the last two months. And just before we move on to Monday night's game, when, I just uh, to jump on what you said there, because I, I would absolutely agree that DJ Reader is is underrated, and, and he's, so, he's such a, a phenomenal um, nose tackle in terms of what he brings. Why does he not get the love around the league that, that he should? Um. He's not a self-promoter. He plays on a he plays on a defense that has a lot of really good players. You know, I mean, the, the Bengals used to have Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins might be a Hall of Famer. The, the, the tremendous three technique, but you know, there, there weren't a ton of household names on that defense. And when that's the case, you know, one guy sort of seems at times to sort of jump out from the rest with the Bengals. They have very good linebackers, probably the best linebacking core they've had in, in my adult lifetime with uh, with uh, Logan Wilson and, and Jermaine Pratt, who's made so many good plays. Their secondary has been very good. I mean, you think about it, their, their first two picks in last year's draft, if everybody were healthy, wouldn't be playing right now in Dax Hill. And Cam Taylor-Britt, obviously Cam is is playing pretty extensively right now. They have quality edge rushers. So it's a deep defense, and when you have a deep defense, individual players tend to get, you know, uh, tend to get kind of lost in the shuffle. And also, let's face it, um, how many three-technique defensive linemen are household names around the NFL? It's a position group that I think gets dramatically underrated by Hall of Fame voters, and it's one that we don't talk about nearly as much because, especially in DJ's case, I think at times you really have to watch, right? We don't we don't glamorize guys who occupy multiple blockers and guys who do their job well enough that it allows Logan Wilson, the linebacker, to have 14, 15 tackles or that it allows the guys on the edge to have free, uh, freer uh, uh, rushing lanes to, to the QB. DJ does all of those things. He has talked a lot about wanting to be a, a little bit more respected, but there's that, and then there's being a self-promoter. DJ Reader's not a big self-promoter, but I would say that anybody who has watched the Bengals extensively, certainly in the aftermath of his absence, would tell you that he is a, a vital, vital member of this football team. Absolutely, and I, for all social media's ills, I wonder with some of the the like more film breakdowns that we're seeing done, um, will, you know, some of the more unheralded positions, will that begin to change over the next few years? That's, mm -hmm. that's a discussion for, for another day because we have pretty much a, an epic clash on, on Monday night. I mean, these, this is um, tied for the um, most combined wins. The previous to this, it was my Denver Broncos going up against the 49ers <laughs> all the way back in, in 97. And I guess, for the loser of this game, they can take comfort. My Broncos were absolutely annihilated that night, but <laughs> went on to uh, to win the, the Super Bowl against the, the Packers. So there is hope. Um, though obviously both teams uh, will, will want to win and have very good reasons to, to want that. In terms of this Bills team, from, from a Bengals perspective, um, what what is it that 
concerns you and, and what is it that you think that the Bengals might be able to exploit? Well, the thing that concerns me is if you've watched the Bengals over the last couple of weeks, uh, they've played unevenly. Terrible first half against Tampa Bay, dug a 17-point deficit, came back and won the football games. Uh, then last week against New England, I mean, it looked like uh, the, the varsity versus the junior varsity in the first half, and then they, they needed a DJ Reader and Von Bill force fumble in the game's last two minutes to hold on and beat the Patriots. Um Playing unevenly against the Buffalo Bills is going to get you beat. Uh, it's cliche. They're going to have to play a more complete four quarters. So where does that start? To me, uh, what what I'm what I'm worried about more than anything is we've talked about Cam Taylor Britt, who I think is going to be a really really good NFL player. He is a rookie taken in the second round of this past year's draft, who because of a core injury really didn't have training camp, really didn't have preseason really just got his feet wet in late October, and he's played like a rookie, and he's played like a rookie with promise. And so there's been some good, but there's also been some moments um, where you feel like he could be exposed. Um, the Buffalo Bills have an offense and have uh, talent that could expose that, and so I worry about that. I, I worry that they're they're kind of playing with fire in the secondary because of who they don't have back there right now with, with uh, without Shadobia Ouzier. And some of the guys that they're giving a lot of reps to, starting with uh, Cam Taylor Britt. I think Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs can absolutely make you pay if you're not airtight in the secondary. So that that's what worries me. Um, I do think that from a from a defensive perspective, look, the, the Bills are kind of a one-dimensional offense. Josh Allen is terrific. Uh, they go back and forth at times between having an ineffective running game and a running game that they really don't uh, deploy. And I think the Bengals can take advantage of that. I think when you have Lou Anarumo on your side, who's kind of been the, the Patrick Mahomes whisperer, so to speak, I think you have a decided schematic advantage. The other question is going to be, how do the Bengals uh, hold up at right tackle? Because they don't have Lael Collins. And so whether it's Akeem Adeniji or Isaiah Prince, this is their first disruption on the offensive line all season long. It's remarkable. For 15 games, they had the same starting five up front. So this is the first disruption to that. And the Bengals have run the football unevenly this year. Um, and so you add to that concern, Lyle Collins, their normal starting right tackle, is a good run blocker. Um, if there's been an offensive deficiency that we have talked about this year, it's why the running game hasn't gotten off the ground to the extent that so many of us thought it would. If that presents itself on Monday, then the Buffalo Bills have the sort of team that could make you pay. And as weird as it sounds, you know, I, I, I thought this about Bengals versus Kansas City. Um, that's a coin flip game. Those are two extremely evenly matched teams. Bengals and Chiefs have played three times in the last calendar year. They've been close games. Um, <clears throat> so in a close game, you're looking for an edge. I thought Cincinnati going into that game had a special team's edge. Harrison Bucker missed a kick in that game. Um, Cincinnati special teams have been a little bit leaky. Uh, Evan McPherson, as great as he has been, uh, missed three kicks against New England, two of them PATs. Uh, they've switched punters here midway through the season. They've switched kicking operations because they've switched punters midway through the season. I think that's a bit of an unknown variable um, that is really hard to quantify. But, you know, let's face it, this is likely going to be a close game, likely going to be uh, very much in doubt in the fourth quarter. Points are going to be at a premium. Uh, oftentimes in an evenly matched game, 
the separation starts on special teams. And ordinarily, from a Cincinnati perspective, I'd feel pretty good about that. But with some of the things that have happened in recent weeks, uh, I think it's it's reasonable to feel uh, a little uneasy uh, about about how things might unfold in that regard. And I suppose if if it were to to go against the Bengals on Monday night, they would be potentially um, you know um, playing because with the the Chargers record, uh, it could mean that they may lose out on that um, home home field. Um, Advanced were were the Ra- were the the Ravens to to also um, win mm-hmm. out potentially. So there are there are a lot of intricacies. I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting season because in some divisions there's there are there's still a lot in play, and in other divisions, um, we you know my, the the AFC West for example, there's mm-hmm. uh, nothing left to to be decided with with two weeks uh, two weeks of the the season to to go. Um, a, a, a little, a little bit of um, maybe a, a tongue-in-cheek question, but just be just to get your opinion on it. Obviously, you mentioned um, the Collins injury, and we saw um, Peter Schrager make his pitch <laughs> to, uh, to Andrew Whitworth. We saw Weddle come in off the street for the the Rams um, last year, and obviously make a, a difference. Uh, is there is there anything in that, or 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 might there be somebody else, or or are the Bengals just going to go with the in-house options? I think they're going with the in-house options. Um, you know, Andrew Whitworth is having a lot of fun with this, and I don't blame him. Uh, I think he's enjoyed the attention. I think he's enjoyed some of the social media fun, and he's leaned into it. And, and look, he he certainly didn't throw water over the fodder. Right. I mean, he could have gone on that podcast and said, no, I'm done. But he said, I'll never say never. And then he proceeded to outline how it would work. Right. Well, I got to talk to my wife and I would have to make sure that I can physically get up and do it. And I wouldn't want to let down Joe. I mean, he, I got to get out of my deal with the rent. The part that nobody really is talking about, Andrew mentioned it, is he's still on a contract with the L.A. Rams. And so there there'd have to be something done to get him out of his contractual obligation to the L.A. Rams. Um. Look, the, the reality is I love Andrew Whitworth. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, the Bengals have a ring of honor. He should be in the Bengals' ring of honor. He's one of the best players the Bengals have ever had. He's also a 41-year-old man who's lost considerable weight uh, by not playing football in 11 months. And so I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that players like Isaiah Prince or Akeem Adeniji in the short term could be better options simply because they are in their athletic primes and they've been playing football or at least practicing football and staying in football shape for the last uh, 11 months. And I'm not sure that's happened with uh, Andrew Whitworth, but uh, the 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 uh, the calls for Andrew to come out of retirement will only intensify if the Bengals deal with another injury. But all that said, for as much fun as everybody's having with it, I haven't talked to anybody who covers the team closely who feels like it's even a uh, remote possibility. Well, yeah, it certainly has been good fun, though, to to watch it uh, play out a little bit on on social media. Um, Mo, you are always a, a fun guest and a wonderful guest to have on the show. Um, and I gave a, a shout out to um, where people can find you. But for listeners, uh, again, maybe if um, if there are going to be people listening to this, the Bengals have a, a decent contingent of, of fans on this side of the Atlantic, I can tell you. And uh, Joe Burrow has uh, only increased that number. 
if they want to hear more from you or, or read, I know you, I know you dabble in writing a little bit here and there. <laughs> they, if they want to find, find more of your stuff, where could they do that? Uh, you know what you could do is you could just, uh, you could follow me on uh, the Twitter. If, if, if you so care to have an account on that app, uh, at Mo Egger and, uh, our show website is, uh, at ESPN1530.com. Absolutely. Can recommend Mo as a, a very good follow. And should anyone from this side of the Atlantic uh, be heading over to uh, Cincinnati for a game or just a, a visit, uh, Mo generally ha uh, puts up on his Twitter a, a whole load of happy hour offerings. So uh, <laughs> he's, he's worth following, even if you don't follow the Bengals, but you are going to find yourself in Cincinnati. Definitely check him out. Well, Edgar, I want to thank you again for taking the time to chat to me today. And uh, I wish you all the best for 2023. Likewise. Thanks for having me. We'll do it again soon.